What month is it again? God damn it. It was March, and it was April, and then it was September. Why does April always come so fast on the heels of March? All it has to do with Shakespeare. Is this thing on? This is Big Green. Yes, this thing is on. God damn it. Here we are with the March episode. Just in time for April. It's April. It's April Fool's Day. We have another episode of Netrek for you. It's a real Very exciting. It's got six brand new big green songs on it. I got six. Count them six. That's practically an album. Then we're, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit. Reminisce about old times. Wear some snazzy threads. Very snazzy. So stay tuned. Here it comes. Last week on Mr. Ned Trek, Captain Romney and the crew of the Free Enterprise had to make an emergency return to Ned's home planet of Palaminus 12. Ned had to do some special horse courting down there, or else he'd die. It turned out that the planet was run by an improbable space cow. A big dance competition ensued, and even the android President Nixon got his metal shoes and high gear. What an amazing science fiction story that was. I'm just sorry that it ever had to end. So be sure to stay tuned for this all-new episode coming up next on this podcast channel thingy. Yeah. Space, the ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length. Until we're canceled, I guess. To seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before. Oh my god, look at that. 
It's a planet that looks exactly like Chris Christie, except that it doesn't have any clouds of methane gas swirling around its equator. <laughs> you know, he really let himself go after the Plimtox Alliance turned him down on his offer to be dictatorial chancellor of their hive world. He really should have intimidated them more. He could have closed a few space lanes on their wormhole or something. Pearl, you idiot. That's not the planet you're looking at. That's Space Governor Christie himself. He's waiting on the telescreen to talk to the doctor. He must be pretty desperate if he's down to consulting that goober. <laughs> ah, yes. Crisp Krispies. Manufactured in Battle Creek, Michigan, back on Old Earth. The one that does have swirling clouds of methane. You know, Bain reorganized the company that puts out that cereal. It's made much more efficiently now, out of all those mountains of returned box tops. It turns out that decomposing cardboard can become quite crunchy after being treated with chemical effluents from a conveniently located aluminum plant. I think my own son Bragg owns that. Or maybe that's Craig's plant. <laughs> I still can't tell those boys apart, even now that they head different companies. Christy himself is probably responsible for half those box tops. No doubt going through pallets of the stuff, using an atomic steam shovel for a spoon. That Christie looks like my good friend and Hollywood liaison, Jackie Gleason. I seem to recall that he had something to do with the moon at one time. So if he's calling in order to talk to the doc, there must be something wrong with him, perhaps something other than his obvious, uh, chronic condition. Maybe he has an ass ailment. That would be lucky, since I believe that's the only thing Doc Coburn is qualified to look into. Ah! He better not look into it too closely, though, if he knows what's good for him. Here, tell Christie's butt doubles as a crack in the space-time continuum. In other words, it's just like some kind of wormhole. Maybe that's it, and he's here to be wormed. The doc can probably handle that. I think I saw his mammoth-sized pesticide applicator in the shuttlecraft bay near where he keeps his space tractor. We could have some technician mount that device on the hood of a shuttlecraft, and then the doctor can just drive it to New Jersey, <laughs> so to speak. Or wait, Captain, maybe we should consider sending an away team to the Christie wormhole thing. Just think, if it is a portal to other time periods, it may present us with a great opportunity to influence historical events, manipulate stocks, and ensure that great wealth and power comes to me... I mean, to all of us. And to the Confederation, even. That's pretty much been the mission of this show, hasn't it? We haven't needed a wormhole to do those kinds of imperial shenanigans before. Besides, Pearl, you said it yourself. Probably the only place that Christie's hole will get you to would be New Jersey. Hey, you guys in the ship. I'm still waiting here. <laughs> we'll be with you in a minute, Space Governor Christie. Captain, we're approaching the planet Nobody Will Care Us 5. Should I initiate a standard orbit? <laughs> you better go ahead and do that. I haven't driven a standard since college days, and I can never parallel park one. They didn't have bumper cameras in those days, nor were rich man's servants allowed to just pick up and move all the inconveniently located peasant vehicles. <laughs> one would think that I was in red China. As a protest... Anne and I insist on dining exclusively on China made only in Confederate freedom hues. Blue, green, purple, brown. They're manufactured at one of our Chinese plants. <laughs> Even expired caviar looks ostentatious on brown snack plates. Captain, we're now in orbit around Nobody Will Care Us. 
I say, I say, what a planet, what a planet. Here's say it has practically limitless mining potential. I understand that there's also a docile workforce that can easily be impressed and coerced by the cheapest trinkets. Why, ordinary bottle tops and tinfoil wrappers can elicit the most handsome goods and services. Here, Tal, you can just throw a box of junk at them, and after that, any property you covered is yours. In a completely legally binding sense. I say, and then if those natives show up again, any gun wrath on your part would be considered completely justified by an amenable colonial government. Oh, sounds like standard first contact fare, then. That's refreshing. I hope that someone down there wears my size and space dungarees. Don't count on it, Pearl. Not unless they have mammoths and jean suits down there. Indeed, Doc. Halliburton Space Corp. Sent a survey pirate ship out there, and they were pleased to report that this planet's core is bracketed by incredibly rich trilithium deposits. All the mining engineers have to do is pry the thing open like a space clam and free up those blessed crystals. Ah, uh, which reminds me, Mr. Ned. Do you know if we could program the food synthesizers to spit out synthetic oysters? Apparently, Lord Cecil Dimwanger is scheduled to dock with us again. He'll be driving in with his invisible crown-shaped spacecraft. He's to be joining me in the formal mess... At 13 million hours. <laughs> Hopefully my Orion slave dudes will have that mess cleaned up in time. The good news is that I've been assured by a subspace singing telegram that he is really going to show up this time, so I won't have to eat all that gooey shell fruit myself. <laughs> Willard, there's no such person as Lord Cecil Dimwanger. Those jokers in the bio lab are just trying to suck you into drinking a bucket of their hawkers again. Don't you ever learn anything? So Halliburton is planning a Class Four mining operation here. But it's inhabited, isn't it? Are we just going to be leaving the citizens of Nobody Will Care Us Five to experience Doomsday? I say, what do you suggest that we do? We can't remove those heathens. Ours is not to interfere. <laughs> Don't worry. Starfleet informed us that the Halliburton survey of this sector shows that there's plenty of space coconuts on the other planets in the system. <laughs> and just how exactly are the Stone Age Norbodlians supposed to get to those other planets? Well, they have some great free market options. They can buy passage aboard private interstellar shuttles. I think that there are a few companies that service this sector. Or perhaps they can rely on their own spiritual beliefs. Now that would be a hard choice even for me to make. And I'm from the Space Age. <laughs> Willard, they don't have any currency that the Confederation would be interested in. And Halliburton probably already claimed everything on their world that the company decided the inhabitants weren't using properly. As for spiritual beliefs, you don't really think that those things get you anywhere, do you? I mean, wouldn't you have been president by now if they had? <laughs> Maybe I am, Mr. Ned. Maybe I am. Ned, you know our subprime directive as well as the rest of us. We're not supposed to interfere. All planets come to a natural death at some point. And you know as well as the rest of us that technological and military supremacy are natural and godly concepts. In fact, there's no prosecutor in the Confederation that would ever indict us or Halliburton for allowing the inhabitants of Nobody Alcaris to meet their demise. Indeed, they'd be more likely to invest heavily in the mining enterprise and maybe even take a cruise out there to visit Halliburton's operations and see how the crystals wash up clean. I wouldn't be surprised if they even come up with a derogatory little nickname for the natives. Something like Tords. 
I don't think that we've used that one yet, have we, Doc? I say no, no, Tord sounds too grand, too much like Lord's. We must utilize a diminutive collation of vowels. Might I suggest that we refer to them as knobids? Now that sounds small. No chance that you'd ever be bothered with the need for putting down an insurrection of knobids. No. Now that word was just born to gravel in the dirt. Wow, Doc. It's amazing what good honest bigotry can do. What would the history of the Confederation have been like if you and your forebears hadn't ultimately persevered? <laughs> it's hard to fathom. We'd probably be embroiled in a secular, multicultural heck. Definitely a money sink and not the happy and lucrative money hole that we currently enjoy. <laughs> also, we'd probably find ourselves in episode after episode ripe with sediments and void of any satiating economic dimensions. <laughs> I think you meant to say sentiments, Willard. And yes, the show would have sucked. And it would have spent every year of its short run sailing ever closer to cancellation. Kind of like we are now with every single stupid episode. Mr. Ned, I think the director has just come back on the set. He's signaling to me that I'm supposed to get down on the floor. Do you think that this might be a holdup? Or he may have gone crazy on reefers. It is California in the 60s, isn't it? <laughs> or perhaps we're just being sponsored by Twister this week. Willard, he's telling you that it's time to select a landing party and start prying yourself away from the first stupid act of this episode. <laughs> you know, I think that my participation in adventure advertising the wares of a company like Milton Bradley that was never reorganized by Bain Galactic goes against my contract with newly reorganized Paramount Mexicalis Studios. Wait a minute, I have a workaround. Ensign Pileup, go buy Milton Bradley. And use the currency without Linklater's face on it. <laughs> Shut up, Willard. I chose the landing party already. Okay. You. 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 And... Uh, you. He didn't choose me, did he, Mr. Ned? I was looking at the viewing screen. I think that he did, but I wouldn't worry about it. He's not going to miss you. You lucky bastard. Hey, aren't you forgetting something? What about me? I'm still waiting here on subspace for crying out loud. <laughs> we'll be with you in a minute, Space Governor Christie. <laughs> okay, Welsh, tinkle us away. I will in a moment, Captain. But first... I've come up with a new piece of high-tech gear for you all to try out on this mission. It's a way that I've devised of keeping you all together, close enough so that you can all be beamed back in a blink if necessary. Well, that's just fine, Mr. Welsh. You've again earned your minuscule pittance for the year. But as usual, none of that should be expected to end up in some kind of pension fund, particularly the type in which the employer would also be obligated to contribute something to. No, instead, Starfleet officers are automatically enrolled in a 401dk plan. That money is invested back into Starfleet's parent company, where the employee's share is allowed to DK. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's right. You're still technically an indentured servant. According to our legal people, that means we don't have to pay you a dime until you need dentures. <laughs> After which, we would have long since replaced you with someone darker and cheaper. Getting back to the device, Willard. What do you call it, Welsh? And how do we use it? I call it a linear inhibitor. 
Wow, linear inhibitor. I'd like to get a piece of that company before it starts shopping that product around. What do you say, Welsh? This could be sold as a must-have for elite forces around the galaxy. I've got some hot-headed Imperial war machines on the line now that could always use a few more stocking stuffers. What? That's just a wad of string. What are you playing at, Welsh? How's this going to do anything amazing? And what makes it so high-tech? You just tie it to yourselves, each of you. Remember to leave a few feet of slack between you, and then make sure that not one of you pulls too hard, or you might be lost, forever lost. I say, it's no more than a measure of baling twine, like the kind I use in my combiner back home, except it's all nice and shiny, and all spiffed up like. That's right, it's baling twine, coated with silver spray paint, and done by my own sober hands. Then it's a rare work indeed. Here, Ned. We're all tied together now. You're the last one. Just put your neck through this loop I made. It looks like a noose. I say, this might not bode well for this mission. It appears that we're starting out all tied up, and with one of us fixed up in a clan necktie. Beam us down to the planet, Mr. Welsh. Oh, yeah, and you're in command of the ship, probably. <laughs> Good luck. Well, I say, what a promising vantage point this particular side offers men with a strategizing and tactical frame of mind. I think that I can see clear to Monocrabdiac, this planet's unwholesome and undefended capital city. And over there I see this world's most unholy volcano, Mount Aluxalacamol. They say when it's angry, it sprays Pizgetti all over the hollow mallow plains. You know... Maybe Lord Cecil Dimwanger isn't real, but I think we just confirmed that his legendary reefer exists. At least it didn't till the doc smoked it. What the hell are you going on about, Colburn? Wells plopped us down at the bottom of a gully. The only thing I could see is an acre of purple sand and a dead plum bed tree. But you can just feel how this place is still chock full of Jim dandies and crystals beside. <laughs> oh no, it looks like I need to make an unscheduled log entry. <laughs> or maybe it's more like a deposit. I don't suppose any of you men have a copy of the Wall Street Journal. The extra soft edition, of course. <laughs> uh, no, sir. But that would be a little too sacrilegious for me anyway. Um, listen, I'll come with you too. I too have to um, take some uh, readings over there by the Grove of Purple Space Trees. But you don't even have a tricorder. What are you scanning with, your ass? Besides, we're all tied together with Welsh's linear inhibitor string stuff. Where you go, we all go. Well, then I won't be able to go. I mean, anyway, Welsh's linear rope stuff seems to have come undone during beaming. It's probably something about the properties of its scientific molecules or whatever. You untied the thing, you idiot. Never mind. Just keep to your own horse business. I'm sick of your Palomino interference. <laughs> Ned, you're in charge. Come on, Mr. Pearl. Once more into the breach. <laughs> I have more reason for optimism, sir, but I appreciate a war analogy. Always.
Well, that was painful. I've never known men to obsess about their spore as much as those two. What do you think is wrong with them, Doc? I say, they're evacuating as part of a holy preparation. That can only mean that the rapture is at last upon us. Oh, glory of glories! My faith is forever strengthened by the thought of other men's approaching apocalypse. Why is it again that I bother talking to you? A plastic metal outhouse. This place isn't going to be so bad after all. Looks like some nice roomy stalls. I'll just make myself comfortable over here. Hey, that's quite a medicine cabinet above me. Looks like it's solid plastic wood stone. <laughs> I better remember that thing when I stand up, or else I'm going to knock myself silly. <laughs> hey, I should read my Bible while I'm waiting for the salmon to run. I'll just stand up and get it out of my pocket. What the hell took you so long, Pearl? And where's Captain Goofball? I thought that the two of you were going to keep together. Well, we immediately separated after leaving you. That was necessary, or else I wouldn't have been able to use my, um, device. You see, I, I set out looking for a jihadist anthill, one that I could subdue with my golden disruptor beam. When I was done, I waited almost five minutes for the captain, but he didn't show. So I came back here. You know how he is when he's wrestling with something of great magnitude. It may take a while. Or maybe he's had some kind of religious revelation. He's probably powdering his ass behind some purple plum pear tree. Great. Well, we don't have time to look for him. Any hope that the Confederation had of shaking down the natives one last time before Halliburton's planet blancher gets here has been lost. We've got to get out now, or we too will be blanched to a crisp by that thing. There's not even enough time to get a search party organized, let alone have them start looking. I say, why in tarnation would we want to rush off so fast, Mr. Horse? We only just arrived here on this paradisical planet of our Lord. We still have plenty of time to relieve the heathens of their devilish golden idols. That is, before the day of corporate judgment falls upon them, after which they wouldn't even miss them. Doc, you've been putting those Georgia peanuts in your ears instead of your mouth again. For the last time, we need to leave now. Or else the Halliburton mining ship will cut us to ribbons. No, I'm still not getting it. And the amount of time it has taken me to explain this to you, the Halliburton ship has moved from here to here. I see. Ouch! Hey, you just kicked a fellow officer in the head. Isn't that against Starfleet's regulations? Oh yeah, I guess probably not, since Starfleet was long since deregulated by the Confederation. Go ahead, whack him again if you want. No, I better not. I think he might be dead. But I suppose it might make me feel better, though. Nanta Free Enterprise. Free Enterprise, Sulu here. Is that you, Mr. Ned? It most certainly is, Mr. Sulu. Prepare to leave orbit. Plot an interception course for the Halliburton mining vessel. And tell Welsh that there are three to beam up. Oh, and one of them will be a little bit lower in elevation than the rest of us. He might also put out a slightly colder reading. Aye, aye, Mr. Ned. I understand. We'll have you and the stiff on board in a minute. 
Very good, then. Mr. Ned out. Gee, he didn't even ask about me or about the captain. For all he knew, it could have been me lying there all dead. It could have been me! Save your tears for your space pillow, Pearl. This episode isn't all about you, you know. And when am I going to have an episode that revolves around me, or around the Pearl character that I've developed? If they can't think of one, they should just ask me. I've got plenty of ideas. I imagine they'll wait until they've teased the last morsel out of the septic tanks in Plotville before they resort to something from your sorry ass. I can be featured in an episode in which we go to a planet that looks just like Earth, except it's not Earth. It's like another Earth. And everyone on the planet looks like me, except they're only about a foot tall. And when I come down, they can't believe their eyes. And their good fortune. They immediately make me their king, and I validate their trust in me by leading them into battle with a civilization of people that look just like Lloyd Bridges, except that they're only one half inch tall. We would destroy them utterly. I think it would be great. Maybe we'd finally win an Emmy Award or a Z Magni Space Prize. Yeah! You hit me on the... on the head! Oh, darn it. <laughs> where... where am I? I don't know. Ouch! <laughs> you know, my head kind of aches. I wonder what happened to me. It seems like there should be some subordinate here to inform me about the unknown thing that just happened to me. Whoever I am. <laughs> I think I'll probably have to fire him. Hey, I think that I like firing people. <laughs> what are these? They smell terrible. Are you going to be in there all day? I have to use the temple and then Dialila. That must be one of my people now. <laughs> Sounds like they've got the runs. Still, that's no excuse for being late to report to a job. I don't know how I know this, but I think that I can document day's wages for that. Greetings, workers. So, have you finished your assigned duties? Probably on the sweatshop floors? Whatever those are? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're dressed like gypsy peasant engines. So you must be migrant field workers, whatever those are. <laughs> well, break time is over. That is, if it hasn't been phased out yet. <laughs> Please, everyone return to your cloistered hells. Dialila, I think that he must be the crazy one that our legend foretold would come when the show begins to run out of even the most watered-down science fiction plot ideas. No, Cornwagon. He has been sent to make the blue smoke come out of the temple outhouse chimney. He is our savior. It was also foretold that our great father benefactors, the persuaders, would send one of their own to help us at this time of crisis. Here, savior. Please accept this basket of fruit rocks from the land. The persuaders? Wasn't that the British show starring Roger Moore and Tony Curtis? I didn't think that they were our people's benefactors. Are you sure it wasn't the Avengers? Hey, are there any seedless fruit in this basket? I can't remember anything, and that includes breakfast. <laughs> but I do recall that I hate seeds. I'm not that crazy about rocks, either. Still, have someone cut them up for me later.
Captain's log, stardate, yada, yada, yada. First Officer Ned reporting. The landing party, including myself, the remains of Lieutenant Commander Pearl, and the remains of Chief Medical Officer Colburn, being back on board about 20 minutes ago. We were unable to locate Captain Romney, who remains missing on the planet nobody will care us fine. I made the command decision to leave orbit and make an attempt to delay the Halliburton mining vessel, which is en route to the same planet in order to execute a level 6 extraction of all valuable minerals. That would, of course, entail the destruction of the planet and anyone including the captain that might be alive there. Sounds like I care, doesn't it? Well, that's just me being a professional showman. Mr. Ned, the scatters are picking up signals from the Halliburton mining ship. It's the U.S. Dickman. I think that they're emanating from the ship's navigational beacon, sir. So, sir, are Pearl and Doc really dead? I mean, I don't really care either way, but they were regulars. I was just wondering if I should start thinking about putting in for a transfer. No, the men aren't really dead. Although I don't know if you could call whatever it was they did living. Anyhow, I just killed their characters. It's probably only temporary, till another one of our least imaginative, emotionally crippled writers gets hungry again, which is bound to happen sooner or later. I've just relegated those two jokers to civilian status, which means that we don't have to listen to anything they say. But I never listened to what they said anyway. Captain Ned, sensors indicate that the U.S. Dickman is coming to life. Apparently the ship remains in a state of stasis until it begins its final approach to its target planet. So it is a robot. I wonder if it eats dinner and can appreciate fine wine. A lot of fine wine. And then maybe when that runs out, it could resort to wine that isn't as good. But it's all that's left. Any part in a storm, you know. That's some sailor talk. Hey, what's the idea, Ned? Why did you clock me on the head so hard, and how come there's a big X written across my uniform now? And why is the robot Nixon at the science station? I thought that was my place when the captain was gone, and, and when you had to take command. We don't have to talk to you anymore, Pearl. Not without the risk of destroying the continuity of the episode. Your character died at the end of the second scene. It remains to be seen whether anybody's going to come up with a miracle cure to make you not so dead. And whether they can do it by the end of the episode. But I have to say that the fact that the so-called doctor is in the same position as you doesn't bode well for that possibility. On the same token... He might just accomplish the best medical work of his life now that his conscious idiocy is out of the way. So what am I supposed to do now? I'm still stuck on the ship set, except now I don't have any lines or any hope of getting the camera to fall in love with me the way it does. You might try directing. I don't think that anybody's done that for a while. At least not this season. I suppose that I can work on my masterpiece. Military art was one of my first passions, don't you know?
next Tuesday's the day. it exactly that a dead character is allowed to sing a song, Mr. Ned? It was still in the script. I didn't have time to cross out all of Pearl's bits. Not run the ship, too. I've only got four legs, you know. Commander Ned, the Dickman's in visual range now. It's up on the screen. It's beautiful. Such fine lines. Just like a model. I think it is a model. Well, the Dickman looks just like Space Governor Chris Christie. Pearl, you're looking at the wrong screen again. That still is Chris Christie, shrouded in a globular flesh envelope that is himself. I presume that he's still waiting on hold to talk to the now-dead Dr. Coburn. His wait just got a little longer. Although I suppose that in his condition, he might just have a heart attack any minute now. Then I guess he can confer with that doc in the graveyard. Dad, why do you keep talking to Pearl? He's dead as far as the show is concerned. I don't know. It's like not picking a tick off yourself or scratching at a horsefly bite. 
Hey, you guys. This is gonna go hard on you. Cut off Christie's audio, William Nixon. Aye, sir. And by the way, the Dickman's now inhaling distance, Captain. I suggest initiating a dialogue, even if it is just a robot ship. Robots are capable of quite stimulating conversations. I recall a very stimulating conversation I had with the library computer a few days ago. It was up on a cart. You could see all of its inputs and everything. Nothing was left to the imagination, if you know what I mean. I dated that computer for a few weeks, but things didn't work out. She said that I brooded too much. Can you believe that? Well, I'd say that I'm finally over that. But now, being in the presence of such a grand dam of a ship like the Halliburton vessel, and one that has such a large ion scoop extender, again I am reminded of my loneliness. And the ship is named the Dickman. That's right after my own heart. <sighs> Mr. Ned, I never thought I'd hear myself say it, but I wish that Pearl was alive again, manning the science station. Last time the Nixon robot fell in love, supplied me with at least 40 horrible images that I still can't erase from my mind. Yeah, that's right. We really had to pry him off of that Balakian warning buoy. Did someone say the buoy was here? Where? I hope that he didn't overhear me earlier when I was joking around about how luring the Dickman mining vessel was. No, of course it didn't. I think that I'm being a little bit oversensitive here. Still, I might want to bring a box of selenium-covered bolts to the shuttle bay. Is that where it is, Mr. Ned? I just gotta know. Sure it is, Mr. President. You better go there now. I think you're in luck. The engineers that were studying it left it upside down on blocks. Oh, boy. See you in the funny pages. Were you serious, Mr. Ned? Am I alive again? Yes, unfortunately. We need someone to man the science station, even if he's not quite a man. But won't we need to come up with an explanation as to why I'm alive again? Like perhaps I possess a special inner skull that protects my brain when my outer skull becomes damaged. The inner skull assumes its protective hardened mode when it senses that a crushing blow is imminent. Oh yeah, and that action causes a temporary paralysis of the brain and even simulates death. We'll probably need some background for this as well. Perhaps this trait could have been bestowed on me by the Wanda Hawk people on the planet Wan. They gave it to me because they were grateful for the wonderful consulting work that I did for them, almost pro bono. I helped them to justify a preemptive strike against the Blepo Wimps, a reputedly violent people that the Wanda Hawks have been occupying for an extended period of time. Mind you, out of the goodness of their own hearts. Ned, would it be too early to kill him again, sir? Okay, okay, I'll shut up. I'm just trying to make the show better. Funny how everything you do tends to have the opposite effect. Captain, the Nixon android was correct. The U.S. Dickman is coming to life. It's powering up its forward disruptors. Should we erect shields or arm our weapons? Probably. This is Halliburton we're dealing with. 200 years of no regulation has pretty much turned them into the board. That is, minus the Borg's communist collective part. What the hell is a Borg? Some Swedish furniture company? Ship to ship, Mr. Pearl. Let me try to talk to that thing. Aye, sir. I'll just twiddle this frequency knob and flip the switch here. I'm just so happy to be alive again. 
This is Acting Captain Edward Palaminius Withers of the Confederate Starship Free Enterprise to the Halliburton Mining Ship. We request that you delay your exploitation of the resources on Nobiliocaris 5. That is until we complete our search and rescue operations there. Would you like to assist in the rescue operations? Beauty, foolish, government ship, this is I, Dick, the Halliburton spokesdroid for the mining ship, U.S. Dickman. You will move aside. The resources of Nobody Will Gareth 5 must be extracted and processed on time. Time is money. Your attempt to delay our mission with Red Communist tape has been logged and will be transmitted to our corporate computer on Ranspar 3. No more warnings. You will move aside or be destroyed. Gee, it makes you long for the days when Helen Burton's representatives would just be evasive at congressional oversight hearings. You know, after an oil spill or something. Nobody threatens this acting captain. They may have a mammoth, invincible, planet-killing death machine, but I've got my own television show. Mr. Sulu, fire a spread of photon torpedoes at that thing's engines. Aye, sir. Firing torpedoes. Mr. Ned, the torpedoes just bounced off. No perceptible damage to their engines, sir. Great. Sometimes I think that our weapons are nothing but cheap special effects. Shouldn't we get out of here now, Ned? That thing can slice up planets, lay them on pieces of bread, and make hoagies out of them. It'll use our ship like a toothpick to clean the teeth on its ore-processing jaws. Please, let's initiate full warp speed and get out now! One thing we can always count on in the Confederation is the lack of taxes and Pearl's absolute cowardice. Prepare to fire another volley, Mr. Sulu, on my mark. You want him to fire them at your position? Are you committing suicide? Wait a minute, I'm standing too close to you! Mr. Ned, the Dickman targeted all of our vital systems. Shields are failing. Weapon systems are out, sir. Captain... Whatever you do, don't engage the warp engines. Our indicators say that the matter-antimatter intermix valve has been sheared clean off. If we try to enter warp, we'll blow the whole thing apart and us with it. Oh, I let God be my witness. I'm not jesting or joking. Those engines, you'll blow this whole deck You'll be doomed with no coffin Be cursed in foul heck The controls will be burned Circuits driven molten lead Don't say I didn't want me No, it's not on me head And it's no price Three enterprise drifting A hope that needs sifting To find one soul a living Not find flies I won't be collecting The blade is trapped Space will remember the tale How one first commander 
had a chance and he failed Say a massive implosion ripped off the ship's hide Not one grumbling coward could get out Gates of Warp Drive, then. But I don't want to hear anybody else giving their damage reports in song. Is that understood? Captain, someone has opened up one of the forward hatches. Someone is exiting the free enterprise. They've probably lost confidence in the way it's being commanded just lately. Who in the blazes is demented enough to go for a spacewalk during a battle scene? It's the Nixon android, sir. And he's got an armload of flowers. He must have been spurned by the alien warning buoy in the shuttle bay, so he thought he'd try his luck with a dickman. That idiot! He's not heading for David Frost out there! It's Halliburton! And they're about as sentimental as a supernova that joined the clan! What the hell is that racket coming over the intercom? That's singing, sir. The Nixon android is singing a song. Of your planet round its big white star. I am a traveler, titanium cadaver, a robot that's come far. And for you, I transcend Programming is my beginning, not my end I will wait upon this star For my space friend I gave up everything, all Earth responsibilities I resigned the presidency I've waved goodbye to Baltimore. 
tobacco I said so long to drink Now I don't lie And I don't curse Taking a backhoe and buried what was worse I don't conspire Put taps on wires I place you first Oh, if you ask me to plunge into the sun You know Nixon, he is the one To ride the solar flares Right to your planet's magnetosphere And I dance above its pools If you ask me to I'd certainly have no Make this perfectly I'm drifting silently Our running lights on me are dark And space is quiet Meteors mark me Neutrinos scar my skin These are the hazards of space flight Now I'm here To duck with you I bring you posies frozen through and through My heart is warm And it's true That's what my ion batteries can do I'm not a man Nor am I human Still I need you Ask me to plunge into the sun You know Nixon, he is the one To ride the solar flares Right to your planet's magnetosphere And I dance above its poles If you ask me to I certainly have no fear Let me make this perfectly clear Oh, Jesus! Mr. Dead, if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't have believed it. What are the chances? The Nixon robot made a direct impact on the Dickman's forward ion scoop. It looks like he's lodged tight inside the conduit that feeds ions to their engines. If that's true, then the Dickman won't be going anywhere fast. The drive cannot work efficiently without a continuous supply of harvested ions. I doubt that the weapons will work either. They need to have a repair crew manually cut Nixon out of there, and soon, or else they'll be fit for nothing but salvage. Well, our own experience tells us that it's hard to cut Nixon out of things. You have to kind of let him wiggle out on his own. And usually with a maximum of discomfort and embarrassment to all involved. Send a course back to Nobody Will Care's Five, Mr. Sulu. I guess at full impulse power. That's not going to blow us up, is it, Welsh? Well, sir, it might. Let me have a look at the impulse indicators. 
You'll do no such thing. My calculations tell me that a full impulse will make it back there in about ten hours. Only four hours ahead of the Nixon-Hobble-Dickman ship. I guess that I'll sing my song now, just to soak up some time. If I come down, if I fall down, if I come down, I'm as good as dead. If I'm more abundant, if I look done, I'll be auctioned and then they'll get the gun. Out here there are no pastures that I can be pulled out to. Dear cartoon, there is only open space, nowhere to graze. Just as a vacuum place. If I can't pick, I would lose it all. If I'm wrong, they'll put me against the wall. When I know it's it, I believe I'm right. I have to make a quick decision. Follow my commands You wouldn't have been alive right now To listen to the human man He's lacking so Lacking this voice's sense There's nothing in the fellow's hand But emptiness He's got no log here. <laughs> Probably mine. I actually have no idea what I'm doing or why I'm doing it, but at the same time, that kind of thing seems to come natural to me. An unknown actor wearing an incongruous ensemble of aboriginal costumes is leading me to a primitive village set. 
I feel like I need to make a phone call, but I have no idea what one of those is or what kind of ingredients would go into making one. I am now standing in front of the top man of the village. I think that someone said that he is the chef. This is my daughter, Dialila. Diarrhea. The name conjures up such an image. And to pharmaceutical companies, whatever those are, it's something of great beauty. You know, there's a lovely pink liquid you can take for that. If I could just remember what it was called. Not diarrhea. Dialila. She is our people's royal princess. <laughs> I'm delighted to make your acquaintance. You know, prunes do the same thing to me. <laughs> and what do we call you? Man who came from the outhouse temple? Um, I guess that's as good as anything. I seem to be pretty easygoing when I don't have any memory. Now, what was your name again? By chance was it Man Who Calls Another Man, Man Who Came From The Outhouse Temple Man? Perhaps Man Man for short? <laughs> no, that is not my name. My name is Zeklox, Great Chief of the Seventh Tribe. Interpreter of the Spirit Boy from the Plains of Ardee. Well, I'm pleased to meet you, Chef Boyardee. Our people wanted to write a paradoxical song about you coming out of the outhouse. Please let us know what we can call you. <laughs> I am my Miha. Miha Tony? No, I'm pretty sure it's just Miha Miha. But what the hey? You folks can call me Miha Tony. Chief Sexlox, this man must be punished. At midnight, he dumped poisoned ash from his skunk ox rendering lodge into the West Tribe's water supply. Now, fifteen braves lie dead, and twenty more remain sick in their bedstone. Punishment should be most severe. If we keep losing braves like this, then all we will have left will be cowards. And I hate cooking for cowards. They never want to try anything new. I know. Let Mehatoni prescribe punishment. It is a long and inexplicable tradition of the quasi-people to let visiting strangers decide how to punish our people. Well, of course. I have no memory of it, but I think that my own phony plastic people have a similar custom. They, as strangers, often decide on what punishment to dole out to every new people that they encounter. So, Mehatoni, what should we do with this man? This man and his minions were at best negligent and at worst malicious when they contaminated the life-giving waters of the Hobonito River. <laughs> well, it seems to me that if he has minions, he may be more than a man, a kind of superman, a corporation, if you will. Under the umbrella of a corporation, men would legally be able to engage in all manner of reckless and irresponsible activities. Indeed, whatever brings them the most profits they can do. If workers that they employ, or if the people that happen to live near their operation get hurt or, <laughs> God forbid, killed by toxic effluence, then the corporation may be liable for the damages, but not the individual men. The families of the dead braves can only file lawsuits against the corporate entity. Then what do we do with the man? Well, you should allow him to return to his golf game. In the morning, he can contact his company's lawyers, and they can advise him on how to dissolve the company with the least possible pain to his rock wallet. Meanwhile, 
He can form a new corporation that can quickly acquire the old assets of the discredited and bankrupt firm. Perhaps Chef Boyardee would want to get in on the ground floor this time, huh? Corn Wagon, give him the Duda Prize in economics. But that prize is mine. It was my father's before me. It was promised to me. I've already used it to secure a place on the lecture circuit. The subject this season is the feasibility of converting our quasi-currency from quartar nuts to honohona beans. They taste terrible, unlike the quartar nuts, which are mighty delicious, and therefore responsible for periods of monetary destabilization. <laughs> well, why not switch to Krugerrands? I have no direct memory of it, of course, but I think that it's likely that our own tribe did that way before it was go. Gone wagon? Give him the Chancellor of the Exchequer badge, too. <laughs> I don't remember how to play checkers, but thanks just the same. However, I think that I probably love getting badges. But the one who wears that badge is also the one who receives the biggest share of the Quatak berry harvest. He is also promised to have Dialila. <laughs> then it might be wiser to back off those Quatak berries. <laughs> that is, if they don't agree with you. <laughs> Oh, I fear that you have made an enemy here today, Mihatoni. Do you think so? I suppose I can give Cornwagon a job in the Singapore office. The advantage being that I don't have any idea where the heck that is. Oh, what a wonderful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. How the heck does the rest of that go? <laughs> I better try another one. <coughs> I'm so happy and peaceful here I think I've always been that way Always been that way At the top of the heap in a Stone Age tribe Ain't nothing gonna spoil this vibe Thought I could make out a name, but what is this? 
regurgitates the scroll. The scroll would be sacred. We'd not forsake it. We'd take it to camp and lose it in a lake. But at night I dream of macaroni, talking baloney in my sandwich. I'm on tippy toes in the roses, hauling tablets to the waiting crowds. Messing on the plane, I could almost hear them. They called me by name, but what is this thing? Look at that. Men working in a field with their hand rocks. Hey guys, you know, instead of everyone taking turns breaking up the soil, maybe these four brawny men should do all the grunt work, while the other two burly guys can hold weapons on them. You know, to make sure they keep at it. I think that you'll find that the operation runs much more efficiently that way. Especially after the not wanting to get shot motivation kicks in. The beauty is that you'll produce a lot more dirt. And I can promise you that somebody important's hut is going to get a lot bigger in a hurry. <laughs> I like big huts. Speaking of which, pray tell, where are the wealthy people's huts? You'll need a board of directors. I do not know this, my husband, but I am glad that you are taking such an interest in our people now. Tell me, do you still dream of the great outhouse that hurls through the night sky? Yeah, but only because I'm pretty sure it was a lot warmer than the outhouse that we have to use, which, believe it or not, makes a big difference first thing in the morning. <laughs> now, what's next on my agenda? Oh, yeah, the dudes that weave our village's fishnets should be sent over to the neighboring Crabamite village so they can show the menfolk there how to do it. As the quasi-people's financial manager, I've invested our village's beans in the purchase of a work cave in Crabamite. By next week, that new sweat cave, or grunt cave if you prefer, will be supplying all of our village's fishing tackle, and the profits will go to our village's financial manager, instead of those layabout former workmen. We call that outsourcing. I think you all like that too. A lot. <laughs> stop, Vihotoni. You will stop here. Sure, sure, I don't mind, corn wagon. Is it your turn to direct traffic today? I was actually thinking about bringing in a crabamite temp to do that job, but I guess the truth is we don't really have any traffic. Still, I'll have to check and see if the village could draw up a contract for that. It might be worth a few beans to me. You are not the economic god. You can create nothing. You merely move wealth and resources around and into positions where they can benefit you most. You are destroying the village of the quasi-people, and you do not deserve that, Alila. Well, thanks for that last part anyway. I had it for a while when I first arrived, but I think that it was because the food just wasn't rich enough. We've now been able to retain a chef. In fact, I think that he used to be the head chef of your tribe. Small world, isn't it? Look out, my husband. He has a naive melon. The nectar is like acid, and it can burn your surprisingly rigid face. Also, the outside husk is sharp and spiky. That too can hurt your face with its sharp pointiness. 
Gosh, Cornwagon, looks like you dropped your nayu melon into the Hobonito River. <laughs> what a waste. I was hoping to get the patent on it. I'm not sure, but I think a brave warrior by the name of Monsanto Rock may have beat me to it. Best you strike me economically dead, Mihatori, for I will not rest while you hold the chairman of the exchequer position in our tribe. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate your support. Especially after that campaign for the checkers job. And you're right. I do have my eyes set on a higher position. I'd like to be the guy that makes the town's double-decker buses run on time. Once the Krabamites fill that bus contract, I figure that that will be the most important job there is in the town. There you are, Miha Tony. I was hoping to find you with Dialila. <laughs> well, I hate to disappoint you, Chef. But I suppose the day is young and I have no idea what you're preparing for our evening repast. Haven't you noticed, Miha Tony? The winds are beginning to whip, and the ground is beginning to quake. Soon you must visit the outhouse temple and make the blue smoke come out. I appreciate your well-intentioned request for an intervention, but honestly, I'm back to my regular schedule again. I don't expect another <laughs> package to be bearing down until tomorrow morning at the earliest. <laughs> but you must go back to the temple at once. There is so little time. Soon the sacred waters will begin to boil, and the skies will darken, and all the quasi-people will die. I know. Everyone could go to the grunt caves at the Crabamite village. You can all work on textiles while you're waiting for the whirlwind to subside. See, Chief Zexlox. He would labor us to death for his own benefit. He is not fit to be the economic high priest of the quasi-people. You know, this coming television apocalypse may be just the kind of thing I've been looking for. I need a religion in the worst way. I need a system of beliefs that can validate the business principles that bring me unparalleled power and riches. Also, large huts with attached big rock elevators in them. Whatever those are. I've tried worshipping magic worms in a tray, but it didn't work. They came in alive. I tried reading regurgitated collie pellets like they were holy proprietary scrolls. And now this really surprised me. That didn't work either. But now the quasi-people are faced with the end of everything. Some great omnipotence is shaking their world and making a lava stew out of their pristine lakefront properties. I think I'm sold. You are the chosen one, my husband. Only you can stop these terrible things. Well, that was all the positive reinforcement that I needed. I'm going to the outhouse. Out of my way, corn wagon. So here I am, back where it all started. Plastic stone outhouse temple. Hey, somebody put a padlock on the door. Gee, I'm glad I really didn't have to go. Mihatani, you should try to talk to the outhouse god as you talk to me now. He knows you and will let you in and guide you to your golden plastic throne. You know what? I will be recognized by God. I will. Thanks, Dialelia. I owe it all to you. Gee whiz, I wish I had 50 more just like you. Except maybe a little different, just to keep it interesting. I'll pass that idea on to God. No charge. Oh, God of the Outhouse Temple. This is Mihatoni. I have come. I know we didn't schedule this meeting in advance, and I'm figuring that you don't appreciate that much. If you could just let your secretary be known to my secretary, our people could just hash out something that would be least disruptive to our schedules. Mihatoni, 
Our people have become impatient and they begin to hurl plastic stone rocks at us. Please make the blue smoke come out of the temple. There is little time. The captain, he's lying on the ground in front of the outhouse. Why am I not surprised? It looks like he's gone all native on us. He's got funky sideburns, and he's wearing some kind of pseudo-gypsy hippie getup. Do you think he's for the nuclear freeze now? Doc, go check him out. I say, and let me also take this opportunity to thank you, Mr. Ned, for welcoming me back to the close-knit Christian brotherhood of this here star service. I'm so gratified that you were able to at last recognize my value as part of this freedom-loving crew. Now, I also wanted to thank you for not resurrecting this old country doctor with any kind of devil science. You know, back in medical school, when I thought I was learning, I was doing nothing but sucking at the teat of the she-Satan. All those textbooks were filled with lies, lies from the pit of hell. Lies from the pit of hell.
and not using science. Think nothing of it. If we didn't bring you back to life, then Dr. Bagoto would have been your replacement. I just can't imagine listening to that guy for at least another three episodes. He gives me such a headache. I say, Captain Romney, can you hear me, sir? Dialila. <laughs> Dialila. <laughs> well, that explains why he didn't come back. He just couldn't leave the pub. I say, what do you think is wrong with him? I mean, besides the dysentery. He doesn't seem to be talking right, does he? You're the doctor. Scan him with your tricorder, imbecile. I say, I see. He's got massive head trauma and internal injuries. Well beyond our abilities for even a miracle cure. He also seems to be pregnant. You're holding the tricorder upside down, you idiot. All the little gauges are reversed, fool. Captain, why were you stoned? Is it because it goes along with your hippie uniform? See to Dialila. Help Dialila. I say, he has it bad. Let me give him an injection of Pepto-Bismol Miracle Cure stuff. It now has Hyronolin in it. But that stuff isn't injectable, is it? I thought it was taken orally. Captain Willard, are you able to get up and come back to the ship yet? The Halliburton Mining Ship will be here in a few hours. This place is already feeling the effects of its approach. We have to evacuate right now. I think his problem is that he can't stop evacuating. Maybe I should give him another shot. Willard, do you know who you are? I am Mihatoni. <laughs> I am Mihatoni. I say, the poison excrement in his system has oozed into his brainiacal canal. He's forgotten everything. You, me, Mr. Pearl, and the starship. Brainiacal canal? You just made that up. He probably just hit his head on something. He is a clumsy fool, after all. I'd better do the Palomino mind meld on him. It means opening up the inner recesses of our minds and sharing our most personal thoughts with each other. But then again, that's pretty similar to just listening to Willard talk. So I guess that it's nothing new, really. Oops! Ned, you just hit the captain on the head with your hoof. You might consider having those things removed. That's the third officer that you've killed today. I was just trying to lay my hoof across his forehead for the mind meld. I guess I misjudged the distance. I don't have my glasses on, you know. You wear glasses? They must be huge. <laughs> hey, men. Good to see you all. Ned, can I borrow your communicator? I need to make a call to Bane Galactic. This little vacation has reinvigorated my financial acumen and greatly enhanced my much-envied Midas touch. Oh, and Doc, see what you can do for Dialina. I say sure, Captain. I'll give you another injection. <laughs> no, not my Dialila. I mean the one that is my wife down there on the ground. <laughs> the person that's apparently dying. His wife? Could it be a hallucination? Well, there is a woman on the ground next to him, and he is a Mormon. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess so. You know, we're trained not to see dead Indians. Captain, I say I realize that this is a most delicate matter, 
but you weren't proposing that we bring this unfortunately colored female back to the free enterprise with us, are you? I mean, the sensibilities of the genteel, gentile ladies aboard our ship need to be considered. The only way that you could bring a painted heathen on board would be as your servant. I hasten to add that you will still be able to use her as you please, and I'm hoping so will your senior officers when they are so inclined. Captain, if you have more than one wife, you'll probably be compelled to go back to your ancestral Mormon ranch in Mexico. You couldn't possibly remain as captain of the Free Enterprise. Not while you're in Mexico, sir. Fortunately, there are capable officers more than willing to stand in for you while you're gone. Captain, we've got to get out of here now. That is, unless you've worked out a way for us to stop the dickman from carving this place up like a space ham. <laughs> yes, space ham. That's one of the things that I missed remembering the most. Me, Tony, you must go into the outhouse temple and make the blue smoke come out or all our people will die. I see. Well, I thought that she was dead already. What do you think about that? Look, she's got bruises and stuff on her arms. People usually die from that, don't they? Hey, baby, there is something to what you're saying. I wondered how a planet so rich in trilithium in this part of the galaxy avoided Halliburton for so long. They've already torn apart every similar world within ten parsecs. The only answer is this planet has a defense mechanism, and it has to be that outhouse temple. Willard, get in there now and use those facilities. Make it good. Sarfleece is counting on your ass. But there's a wooden plastic padlock on the door. Just go in there and make the blue smoke come out. Do it now! Good thing that I had 12 intravenous shots of Pepto-Bismol. I think that I can just pull this off. He's going inside. He's entering a stall. Oh my god, a massive amount of blue smoke is rising from the temple. It's enveloping the entire planet. What now? What could this do to discourage the Halliburton ship? I mean, it's just smoke, isn't it? The Dickman relies on its incredibly sensitive sensors to locate valuable ore deposits, which it can hone in on even deep inside the core of a planet. That magnetic phosphorescent blue smoke will work to block those sensors and render them useless. Nixon did a similar thing when he plugged up their ion drive with his body. Now Willard is plugging up their ore scanners with his ass. At any rate, the dickmen will just have to move on to their next assignment. Time is money, after all. But what does the production of that obscuring smoke have to do with the captain? I mean, it's not actually emanating from his ass, is it? No, I admit it's unlikely. I think we would have noticed that before. Something else that he's doing in there is triggering the giant smoke dispensers. I could just imagine what he gets up to in there. I see. So now we can all beam up home. The planet is safe. We're safe. Hey, wait a minute. Why should we want the planet to be safe? A lot of us might just be invested in the Halliburton Mining Company. Seems to this simple Christian doctor that we all missed out on a great opportunity here. One with great profit potential. Don't worry, Doc. No profit potential was missed. Halliburton was claiming nobody will care as five's minerals because nobody on the planet, including the quasi-people, ever bothered to file their own claims. Since technically I'm still the head financial honcho of the tribe, I just filed a claim on behalf of the Bain Trilithium Corporation. 
They'll be sending a ship over in a few days to liberate that ore. But Willard, Bane's mining vessel will be just as vulnerable to the blue smoke as the Dickman was. But you see, Bane doesn't use a gigantic planet blancher. That would be way too much overhead. It would cut into profits. Instead, we utilize human labor. It takes a bit longer to do it that way, but it's dirt cheap, and it builds character. At least for the survivors. I might have known that you'd pull something like that. You're always on the job, even when you're not all there. You know, it's true. I even make money in my sleep. And it's safe to say that I'll be sleeping well tonight. Take us on orbit, Mr. Sulu. Um, sir, you're not on board the ship yet. In fact, I'm not even sure where I can hear you. You didn't even call me on your communicator yet. Very good, mister. Steady as she goes, mister. Steady as she goes. Splinters already. That's our song to turn March into April. Are we April. recording? Damn it. Yes, I'm afraid we are. Yeah, so we missed March. Damn it, we were so busy. We were not on the march. But we're time for April Fool's Day. We're just in time for April Fool's. April Fool's, it's April. Happy April Fool's Day. March has disappeared. You fool. Sorry. In our case, it's, it's April, you fool. <laughs> it's April, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> the faces of fools. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of uh, when our brother Mycroft. No, wait a minute. That was Sherlock, <laughs> that was Sherlock Holmes's brother. It's my brother Mycroft. Uh, our, our sister, our sister told us once to that that she saw faces of fools in her mirror. No, no. Yes, she did. Well, she's saying. Well, she, she didn't start it that way. Fools. No, okay. Well, you tell saying, the story. What she said was. At night, she sees different faces in the mirror. Okay. Ghostly like faces. She set us up. <laughs> she says they they arrive at different times of the night, and if you if you look early enough, like the first ones that show up are the faces of fools. <laughs> and we looked in the mirror. So she had us, and we both of us peering into the mirror, looking. Where to are see the faces, the faces of, the fools? of fools? Where are the faces of fools? <laughs> I'm looking for them. Oh, damn. And we were the fools, of course. And we, of course, she were the fools. Chumps out of us again. 
for the umpteenth time, but <laughs> she won't do it again. Lisa's job was to make chumps out of, out of us. <laughs> short work. I was the short chump, and you were the slightly bigger <laughs> chump. I was chump change, and you were just chump. <laughs> yes. Damn it. It was a joyous youth. <laughs> that was a long time ago, though. Yes. So we can all forgive and forget. Before we learn to be sophisticated adults. <laughs> I think I was probably seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was my excuse? Yeah, no, you were like 25. 11. Oh, yeah, or 11. <laughs> yeah, 25 or 11. I'm not sure which. <laughs> it was like, 25 to 11. You're 45? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, 45 or something? <laughs> no. So Matt, what's your month or your two months have been like? <laughs> yeah, I guess we were I, been full of t- tumult. Our, our last podcast was in February. Yeah, yeah. So if <laughs> we did our last yes. January episode in February. in February, so now I guess we're doing our last March episode. No, this isn't April. becoming a bi-monthly podcast, but oh. it's just that our productions have become much more complicated. Well, and we don't have as much time. I'm busy contemplating. We- and, and we had to record no less than six new songs. <laughs> so now somebody insisted that we record six new songs for the for the episode of Ned Trek. Yes. Very important. Very selfish of him. But many other things have happened. Many things. I can't remember any of them. Funny. I can. Well, what has happened, Joe, <laughs> in the intervening time? Well, let's see. Many things have happened in the world. <laughs> Many things. <laughs> Such as? Such as? Oh, well, things in foreign affairs, things in domestic affairs. Oh, yeah, well, I guess we want to have a war with Russia now. That's new. It's... Well, McCain does. Well, he always wants to have a war with something. <laughs> <laughs> you just have a war with Lindsey Graham and get it over with. Obama just wants to moralize about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's been saying things of great irony. Oh yeah, well he he made a speech he made a speech to European youth the other day about about Iraq of not being having some. It was like a favorable comparison of Iraq to the Iraq the War Russians to to what the Russians are doing, Russians Crimea. Are doing in Crimea. Crimea. Let's see how many people died in Crimea and how many people died in Iraq. Well, first we asked permission. <laughs> <laughs> to go into Iraq yeah. before we did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. We did come to the United Nations. <laughs> we okay. ignored what they Dude, told us. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> because as we know, Iraq is right on our border. <laughs> they carried us out on their shoulders. <laughs> we weren't ready to leave yet, but <laughs> they carried us out anyway. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm not sure what part of Iraq is populated with Americans. <laughs> It's the yeah, it's it's the extreme western part of yes. Iraq. Yes, quite so. Yeah, we have to defend our ethnic population in Iraq. Not to mention what Ronald Reagan used to call our front yard, meaning Central and South America, which was apparently ours. Ours, ours absolutely ours. Ours, just like the pirate sea. Ours, ours, it's ours. Vespucci Lars North and South is all ours. <laughs> it is all ours. <laughs> There's so many pirates. It's yeah. all ours. 
I was talking to Debbie today about Vespucci land. How we came so close to having two continents named after Amedico Vespucci. I mean his last name instead of his first name. A mispronunciation of his first name, I might add. Mariga. Marigo. <laughs> Are you suffering from foreign accent syndrome? No lo comprendo. No lo comprendo. <laughs> oh my god. Help me, there's a foreigner in here. <laughs> there's foreigners in here. Get me out of here. I just don't feel comfortable with foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God Dr. Bogoto was not in this new episode. So, uh, what was the last episode we had of Mr. Ned, anyway? What was the last time? Oh, it was the... It was the bad joke time, or whatever we called it. What did you call it? Because you wrote that A one. mock time. A mock time, oh yes. That a, had Dr. Bogoto. A mock time. That had a lot of Bogoto in it. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was covered with Bogoto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we kind of screwed up his this name. Is... His name wasn't originally Bogoto in the first episode he appeared in. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of changed it a little bit. We kind of confused him with the with the squirrel that attacked Captain Romney. That was the Bogoto. Well, what was his name? It was something. It was something it like had that. Goat, yeah, in it, yeah. Though, it had right? goat in it. Yeah, Bogoto. I can't remember. Why well, you're from continuity? <laughs> there is no continuity. Run for your life. <laughs> Run for your life. Run for your lives. So we don't have to play any songs for the people, do we? This time, I mean, there's six songs in the Ned Trek show, Joe. Six songs. It's quite a feast. Quite an amazing feast. Yeah, it was like 20 hours long. Anybody that listens through all that, they're not going to want to hear any more wimpy pop drivel. You don't want to hear any more from us, do you? <laughs> we, we gave you folks so much. <laughs> we <laughs> gave something to each and every one of you. <laughs> Hope you're satisfied. <laughs> I'm satisfied. <laughs> I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. So what do you say? We like to give value. We don't, we don't have to put any stuff in the wooden balls in this, do we? I don't know. Folks, what do you think? <laughs> I can't hear you. What was that? What do you have? Marbles in your mouth. I understood every word of that. I think he said closet mire. <laughs> well, we can play that, sure. Okay. That's a special kind of blood. I'm sure we've played it before on the podcast, but what the hell? Don't 
Say for me. Yeah. I don't think I know it anymore. We've moved on beyond those songs. Well, Matt's got his Rick and Becker bass back, the one in the pictures. Yeah, the one in the pictures. I, I somehow managed to pry it out of the pictures. <laughs> it's been resurrected. I used some kind of strange incantation from a luminescent elf. <laughs> Luminescent Elf. That's I a good name got for it band. Out of the picture. Yeah, I got the Aspen guitar out too. Even though my guitar repairman made fun of it because it's an Aspen guitar. There aren't a lot of Aspens out there. No, it's because they're all junk, Joe. They're all junk. No, we were laughing about Aspens in general, and I was telling him about your Aspen electric bass, <laughs> the one where they misplaced the pickups. <laughs> Yeah, it was so, so cheap. It had, so there like, was no pickup underneath the E string. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how the hell are you supposed to hear well, It was that? one of those. It was like a, I don't know if it was a single coil pickup, but it had little sort of metal resonators on it and or magnets on it. And and one was supposed to line up with every with every string. And it was <laughs> it was just so poorly manufactured <laughs> that, that one Nobody's of them. Nobody's home. Nobody's I know. Home. Yeah, One of them terrible. didn't align properly. It was the cheapest bass ever made. Yeah, it was my second bass. Oh yeah, that's right. You had a bass before. I got that. the second bass by the time I, was, I got, <laughs> by the time I think I was you would have known what you were doing <laughs> by that point, Joe. My first bass was a used bass that I got from Dick Cash up in Maine. Yeah, he was selling his his Fender Precision, but he had sold it by the time I 
contacted him because right. I, and so he just, I found out about it on one of my trips to Maine to, to visit Mark, and and by the time I got back and like asked my parents for the money, yeah, <laughs> it was like it was gone already. So yeah. he uh, so he uh, he sold me this other base that he had, which was I think the Mustang base. It was an old Mustang. So it was pretty remember. crappy. It was like a short neck, yeah. <laughs> long neck, short neck. <laughs> and the two Wong brothers as well. Is that the one that you used to plug into the stereo system? <sighs> Probably. Yeah. It was a pretty bad bass. Well, I guess so, because your step up was yeah, an Aspen. I, yeah, I traded in in for the for probably the worst bass ever. Yeah, that bass was pretty terrible. You didn't have that one for long. No. And then I bought you didn't the, do anything with it. Not really. And then you have the Frederick I took Precision some that you still have today. Yes. I bought that used from, I think, Art, right? Art Nicotero. I don't know. You got that one used? Yeah. That was used. That was like a 1975 or something. It was a CBS. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that old. No, it wasn't a vintage year or anything. It was no, it wasn't that old when you got it, though. But it was, you know, it worked for years. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a great base. It's still okay, isn't it? Where the hell is it? I haven't seen it in a thousand years. I, that was actually the first bass I would play. Yeah. When and we... then you got your your Fender back in the day. Remember that one that you got from Joe Karwaki? Yeah, the yeah, that, the jazz bass. Yep. That was an excellent bass. I so regret that I got rid of that bass. I didn't realize how good it was until I played other basses. Well, we were fighting the cats for for scraps, you know. What I mean, we just didn't uh, have yeah. any money. We had to like liquidate things. In I order sold to that get to get that stupid amp that I'm looking at right now. Oh God, that's right. The PV. Yeah, that was dumb. That was dumb. Yeah, but I had a friend who had one of those at the time. Yeah, and he used to rave about yeah, it. It was okay for what it was for a while. I mean, I was able to work with it. it had has a nice EQ on it. <laughs> had a metric EQ as well as a six band EQ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got a compressor on it, Joe. It's Yes. It was everything it's very versatile. Wish it to be in in nineteen eighty five. And much more. <laughs> I don't remember what I used to use when I played out. It was you had I had that sun let, cabinet. Yeah, yeah. I had a sun sort so of. You had a Marlboro head, didn't you? You had a Marlboro amp. Um, I did at one point. Yeah, that big one that used to live in the living room. And I had a Honer. Oh, maybe it's the Honer I'm thinking. I had a Honer. Yeah, yeah, it was a Honer. Because I, I had a Honer too. I had a crappy Honer that I blew out the speaker on, and then I ended up getting like a Plaque yeah. Widow speaker. Yeah, your a... your uh, your bass amp was much better than my Honer guitar amp, which was the biggest piece of crap ever in the history of the world. Remember it? It yes. was unusable. Yes, I do. I used it for a while, but it was like would crap out so easily. Well, again, that was another dumb purchase because I mean, even the the Honer amp was, was well. I got it when I got my right after I got yeah. my first electric guitar, which I guess was yeah. the only electric guitar I got. The, I'm not so much talking about ball. your guitar amp as is my my oh. bass amp, which I I had a choice between getting like a Fender Bassman and and that. And I was like, for some reason, I think because the wattage was higher. On yeah. The, well, that's good. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's got to well, be better. This wattage is higher. <laughs> this wattage is higher. <laughs> so I bought that. And I was like, it, I think the first gig I played it on was was a theater gig that I played with Mark up in 
New Hampshire. Yeah. And it was in front of a bunch of people. I think it was like blowing out already. It was like, I mean, it was a jazz gig. It wasn't like we were playing, you know, headbanger music or anything. It wasn't like turned way up. It was like, <laughs> the thing was just terrible. <laughs> it sounded like a big kazoo. <laughs> They're like, hey, that bass. It's ticking like a bomb. <laughs> Good grief. It's back in the 40s. In front of a jazz audience. I know. Good, Good grief. grief. Yeah. I made the mistake of getting high, too. So <laughs> I forgot the songs. I was like, oh, no. I was like oh, forgetting the changes. I remember Charlie Jennison like, shouting that he was a saxophone player. He's still around, actually. And he, he was, like, shouting the changes into my ear at one point. Like, okay, a, I see. A flat minor seven. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't hear him because the big gazoo was blowing out my ears. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it was at that point that I thought, I'm probably not going to get high in front of a big audience again. Yeah. I didn't do that very often. No. Oh couple times doesn't pay it was a huge mistake <laughs> crime doesn't pay <laughs> we got we got when we had management for a little while we were slapstick our manager, manager got a stone before a job i mean talk about a bad manager <laughs> oh god i forgot about that he did yes. didn't he yeah before at that job at union college i was like what the hell are you doing that for <laughs> you obviously don't know us <laughs> We could barely play when we're sober. <laughs> it takes absolutely all of our concentration. <laughs> they were up there like soldering things together. Because <laughs> he put us, didn't he, was that the one where he paired us with like another band that actually had a budget? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> they had like, oh, a, no. wasn't the, that was, was that the job that Tim was actually soldering? Something? <laughs> On stage. He was like putting something. It was the first time anyone ever soldered something on stage <laughs> in front of a live audience. About that, that is excellent. It was like an art performance. <laughs> yes, the late Tim Walsh soldering connections yeah. back. Yeah, well, it was funny because it was a contrast between us and the other band that was playing in the same room. Right, we were alternating sets with them, yeah. and they had a credible. PA system yeah, so, yeah, that they we, wouldn't let us use. And we had like junk. And we had the pile and of junk. Hodgepodge junk with, with like Partly no. this, I think. And <laughs> we still Did have we the speakers. Did we even have monitors? Probably not. We had the Marlboro monitors. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Painful. Yeah, yeah she well. was great. And uh, it's yeah, when we started was... building our fan base. Yes. <laughs> not. Uh so that was when the hell was that anyway that must have been like 1981 or something 1981 yeah yeah Oof. that was like 81 years ago yeah we actually had management <sighs> which is astonishing that anybody took us on yeah i know what the hell is he well it's because he smoked the devil reefer all the time i, I think so he was he was smoking Lord Cecil Dimwanger's reefer. <laughs> Lord His Cecil le- Dimwanger's legendary reefer. That was from the Ned Truck show, Joe, that we just performed. Oh, Christ. We just performed it, Joe. We just... This I had this forgotten, I'm sorry. The 40,000-page script is right here. Speaking of oh, which, we should, we should let these people go. 
Oh, okay. They've already listened to 12 hours of This is Big Green. Well, don't they want to listen to more of our reminiscences of the good <laughs> old days? <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Yeah. Of, <laughs> of course, course they, do. they do. Let's tell them about our trip to Middlebury, Vermont. <laughs> we'll save that for next time. Yes. More reminiscing. Yes, children, it's time for bed now. It's time for bed. We've all had a big day. You've all been very good children. Lovely day. Thank you for listening to us. I'll play a little number for you on the way out the door. Sleep tight and be sure to tune in next month. We'll be watching. I'm not going to sing that song. I hate that song. The Percy Sledge Way. <laughs> it's the Percy Sledge Way. Well, good evening, folks. We'll see you next time. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us to go. It's time for us. It's time for us. It's time for us to go. Was terrible. Yeah, it's getting worse. <laughs> well, that's all we got. Uh, it goes so quickly. What happened to March Avenue? I thought it was never. Oh, we had to make up for the, the lack of there being a March. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Big Green is. This is Big Green. Is brought to you by. Uh, no one in particular. Once again, the Koch brothers have stood us up. I don't know what's the matter with them. We gave money to Americans for prosperity. Why don't they love us? They're busy with their oil well. Yes. Follow us at BigGuestGreen.net and at BigGreenJoe on Twitter. Goodbye. Follow me at nowhere.